Martin Foley, entrepreneur, founder and owner of Barayamal, is joining us on NITV Radio to discuss some issues, including indigenous identity fraud and governance within the community. Dean, hi and welcome to NITV Radio. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always good to catch up for a yarn. Yeah, no, this and, time. Um, Sorry. Yeah, obviously, you know, this, I think we're going to chat about um, soon, you know, is really important, you know, across Australia and, and potentially international to, you know, problems in over in America, Native Americans, uh, First Nations in Canada. Um, so, yeah, it's happening everywhere. So hopefully you know, more people can learn about it. And, yeah, hopefully something could be done in the future. Let's go straight into the topic uh, that prompted our conversation today. According to some estimates, up to 20% of people who identify uh, as Indigenous are actually not uh, Indigenous. Uh, they are claiming uh, Indigenous identity fraudulently. 20% is a high number. It's uh, one in five people, which is pretty high. Very high. Um, when I first started finding out about it, hearing about it, I was a bit sceptical because in a lot of um, nations, communities where there's high levels of poverty, there's high level of birth rates. And I can't remember the date. I think the last census over in America, over a decade period, um, the Native American population almost increased by 100%. It was like 80 90%. So seeing the recent increase um, in the Indigenous population, that wasn't really surprising, but hearing, you know, the numbers and estimates about, you know, Indigenous identity fraud was quite confronting. Population increases are usually expressed in single digit, really very tiny increments. Uh, 100% sounds fantastical. Yeah, it's pretty high. Uh, don't quote me on that. It might have been like 70, 80% population increase in Native America, but obviously their population is quite bigger too, so in bigger numbers. Um, but again, the Native Americans, you know, suffer what Aboriginal tourists are under. People in Australia have. They've been, you know, colonised for a couple of hundred years um, longer than Australians. And, you know, they were basically pushed out um, in, in the desert and... Uh, in places where they, you know, yeah, couldn't really join the economy or prosper. So there's high levels of poverty, you know, throughout these Native American communities. And what is the situation in Australia, especially in your home state of uh, New South Wales? Yeah, it's supposedly really bad. Like you said, the statistics earlier, um, there's been other information and uh, definitions like, you know, racial shifters or box, tick- box tickers, you know, as many Aboriginal people refer to them, um, see value in self-indigitising uh, or identifying. And the numbers have shown in the late, latest census results of around, you know, 25% national increase, increase more than 92,000 uh, supposedly cannot be explained as a normal population growth, which I was referring to uh, earlier, you know, high levels of uh, poverty, um, just high fertility rates, generally speaking, around the world. With that, they reckon, you know, the increase in recent decades cannot be explained solely by just higher birth rates. There's something else happening and um, uh, self-identification and the problems associated with that could be cause of that. And what is the main? And what would be the main explanation why people would um, identify uh, fraudulently as Indigenous? 
Uh, the main problems, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it's quite extensive. Like if somebody's identifying they actually have Aboriginal heritage, you know, they want to learn about it, they want to, you know, rejoin the community per se, and obviously, you know, they're entitled to do that, um, you know, go on the journey and, and, you know, come back into community if they were lost. But then, you know, you have these potential uh, box tickers or actual fraud, identity fraud or Indigenous identity fraud where people are just pretending to be Indigenous. And the problems with that, you know, are quite extensive. We all know the government, um, you know, hasn't made much progress in closing the disparity gaps. So having these, you know, potential quote-unquote pretenders in the community um, with quite high numbers of fraudulent behaviour. I mean, even in my land council, um, I've been told allegedly that 38, 39% of members haven't provided any proof of their Aboriginal heritage, you know, their family lines and family heritage and you know, were they actually Aboriginal. And that's just in Gunda. So you're looking at around about 500, 600 members in the local Aboriginal land cancer here and potentially 30, you know, 38% or 39% not providing any proof of their Aboriginality, which, you know, stacks up to a large number of people just in the, this community, you know, potentially dozens of non, non-Indigenous people identifying and being given an Aboriginal certificate. And there's a lot of talk about um, Indigenous money, you know, billions of dollars have been given out to Indigenous people supposedly every year, but most of that money actually goes into government organisations. And, um, you know, there's very limited opportunities in Aboriginal communities to break the poverty cycle and get a job, get employment and and be involved um, with Australia's economy. So if you've got these people self-identifying and who potentially are not Aboriginal in any way or form or heritage, um, you know, obviously these people are going to probably take opportunities away from Indigenous people who are genuinely Indigenous and it's not going to help, you know, close the disparity gaps. I mean, if you've got all these box tickers or whatever you want to call them, taking the opportunities away from Indigenous people and... Yeah, when it comes to business, I know of a situation known as the black cladding, whereby unscrupulous entrepreneurs will use all sorts of stratagems to keep themselves a facade that they are indigenous when they're not. Uh, they claim to be indigenous owned or indigenous uh, operated. They do this so they can uh, enter into tenders with government tenders or even be able to enter into projects designed to benefit indigenous people. So these people fraudulently benefit from uh, projects uh, to the detriment of uh, indigenous people. I can see the financial benefit for businesses. What does it mean for an individual to falsely claim uh, indigenous identity? I wouldn't know what it means (laughs) for them, but obviously, you know, they're very... Um, just talking about fraud, generally speaking, these people are generally, I think, very opportunists. And um, and whether it's in the Indigenous space, in the um, disability space or, you know, other areas um, where people, you know, trying to help out and do the right thing, you're going to get these um, opportunists taking advantage of the system. 
The problem with the Indigenous space is very, you know, lack of accountability, not in the Indigenous communities, but just from the higher-ups that control the communities and the, the Western framework and, and the Western governance um, that makes the decisions for Indigenous communities. Um, lack of accountability. And everybody's got an opinion how things should be done or or ways to do things better. But at, at the end of the result, at the end of the day, it shouldn't matter. Like everybody's got an opinion, but it should be based on results. And the government hasn't delivered results. Um, so, you know, we, we need to look at different ways of doing things and and cutting out this problem, which is um, uh, causing a massive problem in helping close the dis- disparity gaps. I mean, it's difficult to actually uh, measure the costs of it, um, of Indigenous identity fraud, even fraud in general, um, as it's not well-documented phenomenon and there's limited da- data available on the prevalence and impact. Um, but, you know, the, the consequences of Indigenous fraud can be significant and far-reaching, not just from a, a financial aspect of, you know, people pretending to be Indigenous and getting... No million-dollar million business contracts, um, but also socially too and and mentally. Um, the impact you've got to look at um, <clears throat> these people, you know, creating negative uh, perceptions and using culture in a way uh, where it shouldn't be and, um, you know, like the profit and that kind of stuff where, you know, certain parts of culture, you know, probably more focus on, positive community development and um, uh, social entrepreneurship per se, more so than, you know, hardcore capitalism, just trying to make money for themselves. As you said, the situation uh, in your local area is quite alarming. Can you tell us uh, whether the state government is uh, taking any steps to uh, address the issue or are they doing anything at all to uh, solve the situation? So... To sum it up, it's a shit fight. And the reason why is because um, I think the last year reporting for the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council, um, which look, looks after the 119, 120 um, local Aboriginal land councils throughout New South Wales, um, their report last year said around about 30% of local land councils are basically being unfunded or, you know, um, basically put as high risk. So basically 30% basically not operating and having a positive impact in the communities, trying to close the disparity gaps and supporting communities. And who knows, you know, how many other, um, you know, 20 30% or 70% of the other local land councils are in trouble um, whether that's financial or governance and, um, you know, or not having a culturally safe place where members can go and learn and that kind of stuff. So, but we knew 30% um, last year and then they just came out this year. They didn't include the high risk, but they just said 19% are unfund- unfunded. So 19% of, you know, 120 local land councils is quite substantial, especially because they should be receiving around about 150000 a year from the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council each. So that's a couple of million dollars the government saves for not, you know, giving these local Aboriginal land councils. You know, that's potentially 
around about 20 local Aboriginal land councils that are underfunded, not getting any money and not doing anything in their communities to help close the gap. So it's a really shit fight, um, which is probably understating the situation um, with that. But in my opinion, and in the actual regulation, while it's easy to blame Aboriginal people and Indigenous people for, you know, bad governance or, you know, a few dodgy members, at the end of the day, it's up to the uh, New South Wales government and the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council and um, the brother or sister organisation of the uh, New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council is the Registrar of Aboriginal Lands Rights, 1983, from memory. And the Registrar is supposed to ha- help out with governance. And they, they're basically the end decision makers. Like if somebody does something wrong uh, in the local Aboriginal Land Council, you know, their decisions can basically say you're fired or you should be replaced or, you know, we're going to change that rule because that's dodgy as hell. But they don't. You know, there's a lack of actual support from the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council, from the Registry and from the New South Wales government.